Hi guys, and welcome to episode two of the Beyond the Bet podcast. My name is Greg, and I'll be taking you through the second instalment of our podcast series. In today's episode, we're going to focus on short-term support versus long-term specialist treatment and how the two can work together to ensure a positive recovery journey. We will be hearing from two of GAMCARE's partner organisations that contribute towards the National Gambling Treatment Service across England and Wales. The first is Beacon Counselling in the northwest of England and the second will be Breakeven, who cover a substantial area along the east coast of England, including Suffolk, Norfolk, Cambridgeshire and Lincolnshire. In today's action-packed episode, we'll also be hearing from Gamstop, the online multi-operator self-exclusion scheme, who will provide an insight into some of the practicalities of the scheme. Before we crack on with the pod, we'd just like to thank you for listening to the first episode, and please do keep that feedback coming in. We want to produce accurate and interesting content that will be beneficial to all of you. If you've got any suggestions for future episodes, you can find us on Twitter, and you're more than welcome to drop us a message. Our handle is at beyondthebetpod. Or alternatively, please don't hesitate to email us at gamblingsupport at citizensadvice.org.uk. Without further ado, let's kickstart the podcast. In this episode, which focuses on both treatment and support, we wanted to begin by discussing when gambling does become a problem in a person's life. Is there a consistent way for identifying someone who is struggling? In short, it's extremely difficult to pinpoint exactly when gambling will become a problem in a person's life. Gambling as both a concept and as a practice is extremely varied. Therefore, inevitably, it will affect people in different ways and the timescales between one person and the next will differ. We'd also be cautious of drawing a line in the sand and suggesting that at point X, they're going to progress from being a recreational gambler to someone at risk, to then potentially accelerating further down the spectrum and be considered as an extreme harmful gambler. Unfortunately, it's just not as simple as that, and the process will not be consistent and linear across all cases. Rather than this, it's likely to be a series of events over a person's life, which accumulate over time and reaches a tipping point, if you like, and subsequently triggers the practical implications of a person's gambling harm. This can include things such as excessive spending and a build-up of debt, but also social and psychological measures, i.e. gambling takes hold of your daily schedule and your thoughts, feelings and mindset from one minute to the next. But just because the tipping point is reached at a definitive time doesn't mean that the gambling harms commenced at that point in time. At this stage, we wanted to draw you to a longitudinal study which was conducted by the University of Bristol and commissioned by GamblerWare. In short, this study's core objective was to empirically assess at what age gambling would become prevalent in a person's life and therefore embed into a person's daily routine and their schedule. The research studied people at the age of 17, 20 and 24 years of age. They concluded that gambling was a learnt behaviour and quite often those who gambled on a weekly basis had someone close to them, for instance a family member, who also immersed themselves into a social gambling activity. In terms of demographics, those who gambled on a weekly basis were more likely to be male, and actually 20 years of age was a key turning point for many, which shaped future gambling activity, when behaviours and ideologies kind of became embedded in that person's thoughts. We know that many of you will be interested in this study, so we will circulate the study across all of our social media platforms. Just to wrap up the first information section, it is important to consider a longitudinal perspective as this can help ascertain when the gambling commenced or a trigger which could offset future gambling harms. In addition, from a treatment perspective, this will also help to design an appropriate bespoke therapy plan for long-term support. So I think it's time to crack on with some of the interviews. First up, we've got Caitlin, one of the project leads who will be speaking to Neil Platt, Clinical Director at Beacon Counselling, the GAMCARE partner service for the northwest of England. He's going to provide an overview of the type of support that they can provide those who are struggling and suffering with gambling harms. Thank you so much for joining us today. I wonder if you'd be happy telling us about the Beacon Service, the Beacon Counselling Trust and the services that you offer to people experiencing gambling harms, please. 
Hi, Kathleen. Um, and uh, yeah, my pleasure to be here today. Uh, the Beacon Counseling Trust is a mild to moderate mental health support provider and it works on a wide variety of community based mental health programs across the northwest of England. And these programs are uh, such as um, general mental health, young people and schools programs, veterans, suicide bereavement. Um, and one of the programs that uh, we deliver, uh, which is the subject of our podcast today, is the um, Gambling Harms Education and Treatment Programme as commissioned through um, Gamble Aware and um, Gamcare. Excellent. So there's a real collaborative approach, lots of services working um, with the main aim of tackling gambling-related harms and, and your service fits wonderfully into that. Um, what do you think about the, the rising issue of problematic gambling in the UK? We've got some latest figures from YouGov that suggest nearly 1.4 million people are experiencing harm from gambling. Why do you think that the figure is rising? Uh, it's, it's, it's an inter interesting question, Caitlin. That, but however, that the, the YouGov data is, is somewhat his, his, historical. And there's been lots of surveys done over the over the last few years. Um, I think the growth um, over the last few years is, is 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 down to a number of factors, but I think the most significant factor is where we find ourselves today, certainly, um, and we can't avoid the issue of the pandemic. Yeah, and its effects. Um, now, whilst there's lots of surveys out there they seem to indicate a couple of things. One is that regular gamblers are, are betting more. Um, and um, those that are betting more are opening more accounts. That is online and there's been a significant shift uh, to online. Yeah. Um, and to support that, one survey recently indicated that those who bet regularly, about 41% of them had opened up um, and additional new accounts. Um, yeah, it is. So it, it's pretty evidence-based that social isolation and the other impacts of the pandemic, um, like levels of anxiety, job losses, increased alcohol consumption, to name just a few, uh, are major risk factors for increasing, you know, an individual's um, gambling activities, and. Unfortunately, we have all those as a as a, a collaboration or a collection of events directly relative to the pandemic. So I think that's playing a major part currently in, in, in this growth. Yeah, there was figures that came out from the Gambling Commission in the middle of um, kind of the national lockdown that we had, that there was a 62% of the most engaged gamblers in the UK were spending more money and spending more time gambling than what they were before lockdown measures were introduced. So there's a huge rise. What do you think it would be, it would look like without the pandemic? Do you think that the figures would be rising? Do you think that we would see that? I think there seems to be a bow wave of this. We're in it. We're in a, um, we're in an environment whereby gambling in the UK has been, has been normalized and in particular with the activities of young people, its relationship with sport. You know, young people do not go to a sport sporting event without, generally speaking, without doing a bet. And we've got adults that are completely immersed in this. And with intergenerational transmission, that is the transmission of the activities between the parent, caregiver and young people. I'm afraid yeah. that, you know, it's, 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 it's very much, it's very much, um, built into the social structures now of a, often of, of a family unit. Yeah, and normalised from such a young age as well with the access to technology that more and more young people have, um, 
you know, that there's never going to be a generation in front of us which don't have access to some form of technology from a really young age. So that's a that's a huge part, which is continuing to grow with or without the pandemic, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. In your opinion, um, Neil, what do you think are the, some of the key areas that should be looked at to reduce harmful gambling? Well, I think there's, there's, there's a number of issues that obviously get promoted within within the press and different individuals um, are very vocal about the um, various elements that need to be picked off. However, I think the approach to engaging with gambling-related harm in the UK is exemplified by um, the national strategy to reduce gambling harms as developed through um, or led by the Gambling Commission. And that strategy sets out an approach needed across a, a range of stakeholders and delivery bodies to have the maximum impact on reducing gambling harms. And in my opinion, it is that strategy that needs to be understood, read, understood and adopted by so many organisations. And I think that if people bought in to the national strategy and support of the national strategy more, we will be making more progress, generally speaking, in this area. However, one of the things that I do feel quite strongly about is, from a community perspective, is how we could possibly change our, our, our approach that underpins the strategy. Currently, we have what I believe is, is I would term as an island model, whereby um, we set up services and in a nutshell people need to be aware of those services and engage with those services so we wait for them to come to us right and that's another dissimilar situation we have or the similar model that we have across many health um protocols suicide being one if you've got suicidal ideation the responses are to or the protocols are maybe go to your gp a and e or call the samaritans etc to, to me, yourself, yeah. Yeah, to me, we've got to change that model and um, engage with um, the community, so that we are out there actively working in the community um, with organisations to catch people, to engage with people at the earliest opportunity. Working with organisations and our modelling with organisations like the CAV, we're doing a lot of work with the Royal Society of Public Health. Um, we have a big community connectors program working with the um, trade unions, our veterans organisations, criminal justice, etc. And that, to me, will um, facilitate getting um, more people into service. I think yeah. that's the key. So raising awareness that counselling services and gambling support services exist by having all the network of support in all different areas being on board with it being aware of it like you said taking on board what the the national strategy says and then learning about what's around locally like services like the beacon counseling trust and the gambling support service that we have within citizens advice as well yeah i think that's really key yeah absolutely you know that the reality of it is if i use the term that we we fail maybe a bit severe but we certainly do not succeed when you go back to, you, you mentioned earlier on, the YouGov figures of about 1.4 million yeah. people experiencing um, uh, the issue of, 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 of problematic gambling, wherever we place it on the, um, uh, on the treatment, on the um, gambling continuum. Yeah. You know that, out of that 1.4 million, you then factor up those who are at risk and those who are affected by problem gambling. Depending upon the survey, you can get up to somewhere between 2 and 3 million people in the UK. And yet, we only get about 40,000 people accessing the helpline and about or less than 15,000 people into treatment. Yeah. So we really need to change our approach and change our modelling. And those community-based services and collaboration with organisations will hopefully facilitate that. Yeah, by linking up with training and raising awareness 
locally, increasing their presence, that they can offer support for people looking, um, experiencing harm from gambling or being affected by somebody else's gambling. They need to be aware that it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Awareness is such a key thing. That kind of rolls us into the next point um, here, Neil, that I'm looking to get your opinion on. We had some figures there which you just gave us about people accessing treatment. What do you think are the main barriers preventing people from accessing treatment beyond what we've already said about general community awareness of services? It's, 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 a, complicated, it's a complicated subject, this, Caitlin, and yeah. it's often called the hidden addiction. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, we look at these surveys and the numbers are significant. So gambling-related harm in some ways is different to, or in many ways, different to drug and alcohol-related harm. And individuals have different pathways and have different perspectives on, 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 on accessing and the barriers to support. But some of the issues that we have and we see is obviously is, is, is shame and a lack of internal motivation to, to start treatment and a, a lack of realization that maybe they would benefit from treatment and support. We have the issue around stigmatization with regard to disclosure. Um, and we have also the issue of, of, around the sensitivity of, of confidentiality. Yeah. Which is a big issue. There's also a massive issue that you mentioned earlier about the lack of understanding to the treatment and support system its processes um, and its availability for those experiencing gambling related harm. Often one of the pre uh, misconceptions is that they were put into groups maybe with uh, those who are experiencing drugs or alcohol related harm. You know, there yeah. is a real lack of awareness uh, with regard to um, the treatment system. You know, there are some, some structural access barriers depending on where somebody lives as well, right? Whilst this is a national treatment um, service. Um, and yeah, as you say, there's, there's very, very limited awareness of the National Gambling um, uh, Treatment um, Service. Um, yeah, definitely in comparison yeah. to other drug and alcohol services, other nationally kind of advertised mental health services yeah sorry to interrupt you there neil it's there but you have to you have to look often quite yeah. quite hard to find and the final point i'd make is about um ethnicity and diversity you know we've got a long way to go and beacon is, is leading the way on this across the northwest with culturally appropriate support services you know we've got now within our community connectors model we've got somebody employed specifically from the BME community and our literature has been now produced in Punjabi and Urdu and other languages so that individuals are um, or feel confident to engage with a culturally appropriate service. Yeah absolutely providing that inclusivity is really really important and we, we say through our training that we deliver to frontline organisations, you know, that, that we can't paint a picture of what somebody experiencing harm from gambling looks like, um, because it could be anybody. Anybody could be experiencing harm, either from their own activities or from somebody else's. So that's really key to have an inclusive approach and general visibility of service is, is obviously number one. And then building on what you said there, Neil, about people being aware of what happens even if they know about that service and how to access what happens then what service are they are they coming up against and how is it going to help them um potentially if they feel that they don't need help as much as maybe what other people are telling them some really good points there about accessing service and potential barriers that can be quite enlightening to other people trying to get their service out there mm -hmm. thank you if someone out there is experiencing issues related to gambling how can they access your service then? I think the first thing, Caitlin, is, is to understand what we have to offer, right? This program is commissioned through Gamblerware and Gamcare as part of an integrated system that we call the National Gambling Treatment Service. And it provides psychoeducation, therapeutic interventions on a one-to-one -one basis and on a group basis for those experiencing 
or at risk of experiencing gambling-related harm. So that could be the gambler themselves, but often more importantly, um, those in close proximity, friends, family, that are experiencing gambling-related harm. Yeah. So that, that's the first thing. It is a, secondly, it's a free service and a fully confidential service. For anybody from our perspective who's experiencing gambling-related harm across the Northwest. I would also offer that this service is fully integrated within the NHS and other support services so that when individuals access our service, should the need for additional interventions be um, established, we're at the heart of that within the Northwest to facilitate those services. To access the service, all they have to do is one of two things. Firstly, without delay, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and contact the National Gambling Helpline, which is 0808-8020-123. And wherever they live in the UK, they will be supported and directed to an appropriate level of intervention. And to contact... 24-hour service, isn't it? 24-hour service, yeah, yeah. it's the National Helpline. Secondly, and often people feel more comfortable with this, is to, is to contact the local uh, Northwest service. And I say the Northwest, we started the Welsh border and we go up the Northwest of England up to the Scottish border and that's the contact beacon directly on 0151-226-0696. Now, whilst our services are being remunerated, are being run and delivered remotely now through Skype, Zoom, um, internet, uh, telephone, etc. We yeah. operate nearly 20 locations across the Northwest, easy to reach locations that people can access the service on a face-to-face -face basis after the um, rules and regulations associated with the pandemic are lifted. That's a Liverpool number, the 0151 number, but that's okay. our central call center and they will be directed after the pandemic to the most local face-to-face -face support service. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today and, and getting the word out there that people can access help to reduce harm from gambling and can access further support at any time locally and through national services as well. Thank you so much for talking to us, Neil. My pleasure. Brilliant. Our thanks goes out to Neil for the invaluable insight into work conducted by Beacon Counselling in the northwest of England. To echo some of Neil's comments, we'd advise that if you are looking for help, advice and support in relation to your gambling, you can go to begamblerware.org or contact the National Gambling Helpline. The National Gambling Helpline provides confidential information, advice and support for anyone affected by gambling harms in England, Scotland and Wales. And depending on whether you require more focused support, you will then be filtered down towards the specialist partner service in your local area. You can speak to Gamcare's advisors over the phone or via live chat every day of the year, 24 hours a day. Their number is 0808 8020 133. That's 0808 8020 133. And although we do strongly advocate long-term treatment to those who need it, it's also worth noting that there are short-term practical intervention strategies that can be used which can coincide with the long-term support. Kirsty Field, National Coordinator for the Citizens Advice Gambling Support Service, is going to be running through some of these short-term intervention strategies. What can you do if you're experiencing gambling harm? For those who are suffering extreme gambling harms, it is crucial you seek support, such as receiving long-term cognitive behaviour therapy from one of Gamcare's partner organisations across England and Wales. There are other options out there for those who are less severely harmed and for those who would like to gradually reduce their gambling-related activities. The support from the Gambling Support Services provides centres on the practical model of the Gambling Triangle. The gambling triangle consists of three core elements of the relationship between the person and the gambling activity. These are time, 
access and money. The theory and concept behind this model is that one or more are removed from the equation, for instance, if the person's access to the gambling activity is restricted, or their availability to undertake the activity in terms of time is reduced, then it is more likely that the recovery will be long-term and sustainable. In terms of decreasing a person's access to gambling in remote capacity, there is GAMSTOP, who are the National Online Self-Exclusion Scheme. We will be hearing from Katie Reynolds-Jones at GAMSTOP later, who will give you a comprehensive overview of this initiative. Another barrier that can be enforced is blocking software, such as GAMBAN, which limits the consumer's exposure to gambling advertisements and stops a person from accessing online betting websites. There are also self-exclusion schemes for land-based establishments, such as Multi-Operator Self-Exclusion Scheme, MOSES, which is for betting shops, Sense for Casinos and Bingo Association for Bingo Activities. In terms of money, customers are now unable to undertake gambling-related activities using their credit card. Most banks also operate a gambling block option on debit cards, which operates on a merchant code system, and if a customer has notified their bank of their gambling and a block has been applied, a future transaction between the person and a betting activity will not be allowed to occur unless the block has been switched off. Banks have different cooling off periods, and it is crucial to know what these are depending on who you bank with. There are also some brilliant budgeting tools out there, Monzo, a remote-only bank, has some gambling-specific budgeting options within their app, such as MoneyPots, to help distribute money accordingly and encouraging saving in a fun and modern way. Finally, managing time is imperative to ensure a long-term recovery. Consistency, such as a weekly Gamblers Anonymous meeting, can be instrumental in helping someone suffering with gambling harm stay on the right path. Although accessibility to certain activities has decreased in the midst of lockdown, finding another hobby or activity to shift the focus away from gambling is an important step in a person's recovery. There are many other blocks and strategies that can be put in place. However, we wanted to very briefly share with you what the gambling triangle entails and some initial blocks that can be enforced. Thank you to Kirsty for that whistle-stop tour of the Gambling Triangle and various intervention strategies that can be used. There are, of course, others, such as receiving specialist debt support from organisations like Step Change or Citizens Advice, but we will cover all of these in a future episode. It's also worth noting here that the National Gambling Treatment Service spans across the whole of Great Britain and, as such, incorporates England, Scotland and Wales. Next up, we're going to hear from Katie Reynolds-Jones, Head of Marketing and Communications at GAMSTOP. Hello, my name is Katie Reynolds-Jones and I am Head of Marketing and Communications for GAMSTOP. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about what GAMSTOP is, where we've come from and what we're doing now and how we're trying to help people by enabling them to self-exclude from online gambling sites in the UK. So GAMSTOP is run by a company called the National Online Self-Exclusion Scheme Limited, which was originally set up to take forward the requirement by the DCMS and the Gambling Commission to provide a national online self-exclusion scheme, as well as the individual self-exclusion schemes which each gambling operator was obliged to provide to their customers under their condition of licence. When I'm talking about self-exclusion, what I mean is, um, and how we define it, is an important harm minimisation tool for those who wish, who wish to exercise greater control over their gambling by enabling them to block themselves from accessing specific gambling activities. Um, there are <clears throat> several multi-operator self-exclusion schemes available within this sector, um, and they are, are differing levels. Um, currently within the land-based operations, you'll find um, a self-exclusion scheme for the bingo halls, one for arcades, one for casinos, and one for bookies, which is called Moses. 
Um, within online, previously, if you wanted to self-exclude, you would need to visit every single site um, you wanted to exclude from, scroll through that site and find um, a way to self-exclude within each site. And obviously, um, you would then um, need to do that across the various gambling sites. And uh, currently, there's around about 240 um, separate operators offering um, online gambling and many of those will have several um, if not hundreds of um, online casinos so it would have been a, a big task. So Gamstock was set up in 2017 um, and is run as a not-for-profit not organisation um, and we are a tool which enables people to exclude themselves from all British remote licensed gambling operators in one go. Um, we've been live to, since uh, April 2018 and since then we have had over 150,000 people registering with the scheme. Um, it's a free process and generally takes around about two to three minutes to register. We would always recommend that as well as using Gamstop, which blocks the self, hence the name self-exclusion, it is always a good idea to use other practical tools that are available, um, such as blocking software, which will block the device um, that you're using, and also bank account blocks, which are much more common these days and available um, to uh, freeze certain transactions within the um on your bank account um, with regard to online gambling. They all provide a slightly different function and um, we would always re recommend using all three if you can and then most definitely go and seek the help and support that you need um, when um, tackling the um, issues you have with online gambling. It, this is not the silver bullet. It will need help and support from professionals who are available um, via uh, the National um, Gambling Helpline, for example. So how does Gamstop actually work? Well, in a nutshell, um, somebody comes to the website, they register. As part of that registration, they'll need to verify their identity and uh, then their exclusion is added. It sits on what we call the self-exclusion register and um, an operator will check in real time this register every time somebody registers with their uh, site for the first time, every time somebody, uh, one of their existing customers tries to log in and also since this April, um, every 24 hours they will proactively sweep their entire customer database against the GAMSTOP um, register. In this way they can check whether the person who is um, requesting um, to play has uh, a self-exclusion and they will be given a response um, by the GAMSTOP register to say whether they are yes on the register, no not on the register or were previously on the register. Um, when the consumer comes to register with GAMSTOP they um, will uh, verify their um, email address in the first instance. They'll then fill out a short registration form which will include um, the details that they have also used to register with online sites. So name, surname, date of birth, address, mobile telephone number and email address and email addresses previously used. They'll also be able to choose um, a time frame that they would like the um, exclusion to be for. This can be six months, one year or five years. Um, once they've done that, they will have to answer um, a few ID questions which will um, be used to verify their identity and ensure that the person who is registering is that person and isn't being maliciously registered um, on behalf of by somebody else, which we do not want because once that person is on our register and has signed the um, has agreed to the terms and conditions, we will not 
uh, allow them to come off the scheme until the end of their minimum exclusion period. This is very important. We do see people um, coming back to the scheme once they've had that moment of clarity, they've wanted to exclude, and then maybe the next day, maybe the next week, it's it's tough, so they want to um, remove themselves from the scheme. And we think that we can't remove them at this point because um, it would undermine the integrity of the scheme, which is there to protect those people from um, online gambling within the time frame that they have initially um, set up. So once they've registered with the scheme, they are not contacted again. That's all fine. They can set up an account at the end of the registration. and This will help them to put um, um, add new details, for example, um, when they move house or when they have a new email address um, or a new telephone number. So um, they can just log into their account and do that. They can also extend their registration um, for a further six months, one year or five years, should it be coming to the um, end of that period. Um, if they uh, get to the end of the period they've chosen, so for example, at the moment we're um, uh, processing six month and one year registrations, if they get to the end and they decide that they want to uh, go back to gambling, of course they can do that and they just need to um, get in touch with us, go through um, a, a short process which uh, we require them to do, which will um, includes telephoning, uh, answering a few questions, going through a little cooling off period of uh, 24 hours just to make sure that going back to gambling is something that they've thought about um, and then they will be um, able to gamble again um, because that period of exclusion has um, run its course. So um, once they've done that, they can also come back to uh, GamStop. We do see this quite a lot, um, people coming back um, to the scheme, um, having had a, a short period back in gambling, they can come and very, very easily via their account, uh, put their exclusion back on again. Um, we do have a process um, for manual registrations, should there be a problem with answering the verification, verification questions, um, and that involves um, uploading ID documents and sending them securely to us where we will check them and then um, pop them on the scheme. Um, it will take just slightly longer, obviously, because it's a manual process, but um, we, we um, try to get them on as quickly as possible. Um, and this works quite well for those that cannot pass the um, or can't answer the questions that they've been asked to to verify their identity. Um, so in the last two years, as I've said, we have uh, registered over 150,000 um, people. Tends to be um, that uh, the majority have chosen the five-year exclusions um, period, um, but we do have, you know, obviously um, people choosing six months and one year too. We are looking at, um, you know, uh, developing those periods and um, always willing to listen to feedback um, about changing the durations of the self-exclusion, for example, and always looking for feedback on um, the uh, experience of registering with GAMSTOP, both positive and negative, so that we can develop and grow the scheme um, as we go into our third year of operation. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I'm always available available to answer questions so do get in touch um, either via info at gamstop.co.uk or by, via the usual helpline details that are on our website many thanks for listening thank you to katie reynolds jones and there is also a brilliant two to three minute video produced by gamstop that encapsulates the whole process from registration to self-exclusion. This is on YouTube, but if in doubt, we'll add this to our Twitter page for you to view. Finally, we're pleased to welcome Anna, Project Lead for Hampshire, and Ian Semmel, CEO at Breakeven, another specialist gambling service. As you'll be able to gauge from their introductory thoughts, this was recorded some time ago now in the midst of summer. However, all of the information and advice remains consistent. We hope that you enjoy. 
Right, firstly, I wanted to thank you so much, Ian, for taking the time to come and talk to me today, because um, although we had arranged to do this a little while ago, what I didn't know is that the time, the afternoon that we had arranged would probably be one of the hottest days of the year. <laughs> so I'm sure like, you'd probably yeah. rather be out in the garden. <laughs> I, I normally do most of my meetings in the garden, um, even on Zoom or Teams, but yeah, I'll come in especially because we're recording as I came inside. So. Lovely, I really appreciate it. And I thought probably the best way to start off might be to talk about, from your point of view, what break-even is um, and what it does for those who don't know about gambling-specific treatment services. So break-even um, is a partner of GAMCARE. GAMCARE is the National um, Treatment Centre for Problem Gambling. GAMCARE has 15 partners across the whole of the UK and we deliver um, treatment to anybody affected by problem gambling. Um, so break even solely works with gamblers and we work to minimize gambling related harm. Um, the majority of the time it's about abstention, but we also work with control and minimizing the harm. And we work with lots of people that are affected by it because sometimes they seem to be forgotten ones. Um, and like most addictions, um, gambling is no different any, from that to any other addiction whereby it can affect at least 10 people in, you know, in a person's life that may be affected and need some help and support as well. Right. So from the point of view of somebody who might have been referred to your service, how do they start that? And, you know, what happens when they actually get there? So one thing we're very proud of, um, because um, I suffered with a problem myself many years ago, uh, one of the things I was really keen to make sure break even offer is instant help. If you're big enough and brave enough to ask for help, um, I think you need to be seen immediately. So there's five or six routes at least how, how you can come to break even. You can either come through the GAMCARE National Telephone Helpline or Netline or through word and mouth or we're quite um, uh, vocal on social media and, and loads of different platforms to um, get hold of break even. Once you've made a referral, um, within reason, we will assess you um, on the same day, as long as you're available to do that. Um, we will then book you an appointment with a practitioner. It could be the same day, the next day, um, but we've always got people available to work with people because my view is if you're going to present in crisis, you need to be seen in crisis. Thank you very much. And once somebody is in therapy, are there a number of different counselling approaches that you would use, different models for treatment and that kind we, of thing? Basically, um, we use what we call recovery model, which is a tried and tested model um, that's been in the drugs and alcohol field for many years. Um, and basically it involves people's networks, people's friends. Um, and what rather than different models of counselling, um, it's all underpinned by some core conditions of traditional counselling, but it's more about having a box of tools to meet the various needs of the totally unique and different people that we work with all the time. Fantastic. So what made you start the journey of training as a treatment provider yourself? What was it that I'm, took I'm you there? Probably, I'm probably proverbial um, poacher turned gamekeeper. Um, I know in today's world there's a lot of people with lived experience that give back stuff. But when I started doing this probably over 20 years ago, I was sort of a lonely figure in the gambling world as somebody that had lived experience. Um, and sadly my experience... Um, culminated with me having to go to rehab um, and one of those is in rehab one of the things that really struck me was I'd like to be able to do this and give something back because that helped me so much um, and I started break even in 2001 um, seeing one or two people um, paying for an office so, yeah, so break even started um, I took an office in relates offices in Brighton um, and it was the times when Gamcare didn't have too many partners um, there wasn't the coverage there is now, that's for sure. Um, and I remember taking the wild step of, you know, committing to the rent of an office um, with very few clients because the system wasn't as robust um, as it is now. And I remember having to cab, do some cabbing to pay for the office um, to make up the difference between the rent and the money I was getting for actually doing um, the work. Wow. So it's been quite a personal journey for you then. You've actually, you know, you've, um, it, it's, you know, you've um, sort of funded it from your existing working life and sort of made it into well, what it is today. Yeah, when I, I mean, I, my gambling journey culminated, as I said, and we finished up in Gordon Moody, the only gambling 
residential centre for problem gamblers. And when I came out, I was determined to do something within this field. Um, and yeah, I went back to college. Um, I got a degree in counselling. Um, and I always saw at that, that time there was a gap in the market. There wasn't that much provision for gambling related harm. And fortunately today, there's a lot more provision. And I actually started um, when I came out of Gordon Moody um, on the Gamcare helpline. You know, it wasn't as big as what it is now. We, I mean, I think they get 30, 40,000 calls a year. It was very minimal in those days. Um, and I used to have to work out when I could go cabin to earn some money, offer my free time to um, work on the Gamcare telephone helpline to help problem gamblers. I didn't know that. Um... I wonder really as well, um, once you started at break even and started seeing people who had issues with gambling, what kind of realizations sort of additional realization that gave you about your own gambling in the past, whether you saw sort of similar themes coming up, uh, similar people with backgrounds, um, as yourself, or was it completely different? A lot, a lot has changed in gambling in my day. Um, you had to work at getting the problem because you could only gamble in certain places. Betting shops opened and closed, casinos opened and closed, you know, and you could go to a race meeting or a dog meeting at certain times of the day. Um, and arcades, and again, they opened and closed. Um, I always say, I mean, I spent probably 20 years of my life as a problem gambler, getting, in a, getting into a problem, out of a problem, never quite being out of the problem, lying, stealing, cheating, doing whatever I do to carry on gambling. Um, I often say, if I was a problem gambler today, I'd probably last the weekend because it's 24 seven, it never stops. You can just go through the night. Um, you can press buttons on your computer and all your money can go. Um, so it's a totally different world now. And would it be fair to say that if somebody is going into recovery and treatment, um, obviously best case scenario is that they go through that treatment and they're in a better place and they don't return straight away. But is it fair to say that sometimes uh, somebody needs to find the right kind of treatment for them and it sometimes mm -hmm. takes a few I, I, times? Of... I think that's such a great question because, as I said earlier, um, we work in the um, business of minimising gambling-related harm. The majority of our clients, we, we would encourage them to abstain, put in certain blocking tools, um, use other strategies and verified tools that work for that. But there are a percentage of people, there's more people in this country that are classified as at risk of being a problem gambler that may need a softer intervention and also talk about some of the control. Um, and the industry's moved a long way with that, um, and especially with online gambling. There are some really good tools you can put on that should minimize the harm. But as long as you stick to it, you can, put, you can put limits on the time you spend, limits on the money you spend. We know the pathological problem gambles, which is the bulk of our clients, would ignore that and always find a way around it. But for somebody that is potentially at risk of becoming a problem gambler, there are safe ways that um, they can do that. And you know, we work with a whole field. You know, we're sort of gambling neutral um, because we've seen, in some cases, control is viable. In majority of cases, it isn't. People may try and then come back, and abstention seems to be the way. But we live in a world where gambling has become very um, normalised. Um, we're the only country in the world where you can walk down a high street and see five or six, seven, eight betting shops within a very short distance. Um, casinos in big towns, arcades in big towns. Um, we actually allow gambling from the age of 16 through the National Lottery and Scratch Cards. Um, and one thing I do welcome, just change the subject a little bit, is um, okay. the last um, Gambling Act um, was in 2005, and it's good news that um, that's being reviewed and one's very imminent to have a new Gambling Act this year. So that will be really interesting to help minimise um, the, all the gambling-related harm that is out there. Definitely. I mean, it's really obvious to see how things have changed while you've been in the field. And I wonder, you know, you must see people that come to your organisation for treatment under the same kind of pressures, um, advanced pressures, really, through technology, sort of uh, you know, TV, mobile. There's so many different channels of gambling. I, mean, I wonder if you have a sort of, um, you know, on, anonymously, of course, but um, a case study or somebody in mind when you think of somebody who's gone through all those pressures and come out the other side? 
fortunately, we have a very high success rate, as do most of GANCARE um, partners um, and GANCARE itself that work in this system. I think it's around 79-80% certainly improve their uh, minimise and mostly get rid of their gambling-related harm. Um, and that's done through, there are, as I said, some tools that can really help. Um, one of the things that I've always um, been aware of, that there's, there's been massive changes to help people. Um, a lot more needs to be done, a hell of a lot more. And that's with the new Gambling Act and all the campaigns that are going on, hopefully that will happen. Um, but this is like the betting shop now. You know, I was talking about you have to go to race courses, mobiles, um, computers, iPads. Um, all these devices are, are mobile betting shops. Um, so the good things that are out there is without even having therapy, there are some tools out there that where you can limit and block your access to gambling. That's what's changed dramatically. Not only, not only gambling changed dramatically, but the way you can work with problem gambling dramatically. Because if a client rings up us up, we can ask them or encourage them to download GamStop, which 99% of the companies that are regulated by the gambling in this country and are signed up to, and that will stop you being able to gamble online with these companies. You can also put on Gamban or other soft software tools that will not allow your mobile devices to actually access any gambling sites. And then what we, under core of our work is in the recovery model we use is in getting help from people around you, involving people around you, and over a given period of time, looking at the how, when, and the why of gambling and trying to explore the problem underneath the problem, which can be a multitude of things. Fantastic. So how do you see gambling harm and treatment compared to um, other things? I mean, the way that gambling harm is treated by society in comparison to, for example, alcohol or drugs or tobacco. I mean, I know through the work that I've done and gone out to try and raise awareness and go and train people into spotting the signs. Um, I know that I've come across some people who don't take it seriously um, and think, oh, the, the responsibility is all on the gambler. They can just go cold turkey and it's as simple as that. Do you, do you see totally, that kind of attitude? I totally 100% agree with you. It's changed slightly, but mm. not a lot from what you're talking about. It's certainly changed from the early days of doing this, but it still leaves a lot to be desired. There's that general attitude of like, pull your socks up, um, just don't gamble. It's a stupid thing to do. It's a lot of people don't class it in the same um, way as they do the drugs and alcohol, but it's a bigger addiction and has exactly the same um, consequences. Um, and sadly, um, gambling has the highest rate of suicide ideation and actual suicides in, in the other addiction. So we've always had a battle of um, getting it accepted. We're winning it slowly, but far too slowly for my liking. And one of my biggest bugbearers is, and I'll give an example, We've got um, probably 20, 25 offices over the southeast of England where we see people when we're allowed to on a face-to-face -face basis. And one of our um, offices, we were kindly got involved with the CCG in East Sussex, and they allowed us to have a, a property above a doctor's surgery in Hastings. I've been trying for nine months to talk to the surgery, and we're upstairs from them, about talking about or doing, having, a, having an assessment tool or a screening tool to screen problem gamblers, and I'm still waiting for that appointment. Um, we've had campaign upon campaign to get gambling recognised within the medical world. It's, again, we're making very small leeway, but hardly anything at all. Um, and I think it's quite a sad indictment that we're getting lots of people suffering, especially in the unprecedented times we're living in. Um, gambling, obviously, is all about, not all, all about, but it's often about um, debt, um, debt you can't get out of, chasing winnings, chasing losses, yet people could go to their GP um, and talk about being in massive debt and they won't be asked that simple question, are you gambling, are you, is gambling causing you any harm? They'll ask, are you on drugs, are you on alcohol, are you depressed? But hardly anybody asks, is this gambling related? I think that's right. I mean, it's certainly an attitude that I've encountered when I've gone around the southeast and in some of the similar areas that you operate in as well. Um, I go to some areas and I start talking about gambling harms and some people say to me, oh, it doesn't happen here. We've never had anybody approach us for gambling harms. And I just think, well, is that because we're not asking the right I questions? This, I think there's two great answers to that. One is I don't think we, there's enough awareness out there. Um, 
Braking's been going 20 years, and we're pretty well known in all our areas, but it's nowhere near as well known as we should be. Gangclare's been going for more than 20 years, and it's still not as well known as it should be. Um, all the other treatment providers still are not as well known as they should be. Um, and another reason might be, and this is where people need screening tools and need to ask the questions, is gambling is very much what we call the hidden addiction um, in more ways than one. You know, if you go to your doctors um, or you're with somebody and you've got a drug or alcohol problem, there's some great visual signs, aren't there, you know, without spelling them out. I could go to see a doctor and be £200,000 in debt and wanting to jump off a bridge because that's how depressed I've got, yet it's not visual. Um, because if I don't tell anybody and I'm not asked a question, and um, there's no signs, the, the signs normally are when you get into debt, you can't pay your debts, or people knocking on doors for money or getting letters, etc., or or through other means, but there are no telltale signs. Um, so it really lends the hidden addiction that way. And also, it's also hidden addiction because I'm doing an interview with you and I could just I've just got to ask this text. I can actually be online having a bet on one of the thousands of online sporting events that are live now, or I could just be playing a casino game while I'm not even, you know, while I'm looking up here and doing it down there. So it, it's so well hidden, and that is why we really need to get it out in the open. I agree. So with all of that in mind, what is the future in the gambling harm sector and what's the future for break-even itself? What do you see coming down the road? Sadly, um, I think we're going to get busier and busier. Um, not necessarily because more people are developing a problem, but more people are gambling and the percentage of gamblers that then get into trouble and are at risk of developing a problem and already have a pathological problem is going to increase naturally. Um, one of the figures that we're really working towards, and I always hate this figure, but it's very true and really sums up what you've been talking about, is it's generally accepted across the field that of all the people that present with a drug or alcohol problem, around, I think, 10, 11% um, present for treatment. Of all the people in all the surveys and all the evidence we've got that present with gambling-related harm, currently only 2 to 2.5% two of people are presenting for treatment. That's the gap that needs to be filled. I think with guys like yourself, guys like me, the national campaign, social media is right with it. I think now, hopefully, um, we're saying goodbye to COVID or it's gradually easing. Um, I think the effects of that, a lot of people for the wrong reasons may turn to gambling. Um, gambling or gaming, which is very closely linked together now. Um, people have been furloughed, they may have lost their jobs. They may see this away, not just to chasing losses, but chasing a living. Um, and I think there's going to be enough noise with the new gambling act and so many more people come into this field um, of minimising gambling related harm that hopefully the word's got to get out there and we get the message in every single area, every single location, because gambling's got no bias. It doesn't matter if you're big, small, white, yellow, green, black, um, it's irrelevant. Gambling will take your money. Yep. So to finish up... With that in mind, if somebody watching or listening was worried about their gambling or somebody else's, indeed, you know, as you touched upon earlier, what would you hope that they do? Or could I actually phrase it? What was the worst thing that they could do? What would you hope that they wouldn't do as well as hope that they would do? Worst thing they could do is just, you know, have that attitude that sadly some society got it just go away. It's just a phase. It's not an addiction. It's not an illness. And there's lots of reasons that we can say, yes, it's all of that. Um, so the worst thing they can do is not talk to somebody about it. The place to start, you know, might be the national helpline. Um, if you live in the southeast, contact Breakeven. We've got a website. We've got a phone number. We've got so many ways you can get to us and talk to us. And remember, if you're just worried about your gambling, we can help. We can talk about that and help you minimise the harm. And if you're already one of them people that are sadly feel you're a pathological really addicted gambler we can help you abstain and find the reasons multitude of ways how we can do that but my advice to anybody listening is get help speak to the right people break evens details are everywhere gamecare's details are everywhere and the, the, the people who fund the gambling treatment are called gamblerware and everybody that works within this system are part of what we call the national gambling treatment service so make sure you speak to somebody involved in the National Gambling Treatment Service. Brilliant. 
Ian, thank you so much for your time on this really hot afternoon. And thank you for everything that you've done over the decades in the gambling arms okay. field. I know that you will have helped so many people. A huge thank you to Anna and Ian for that fruitful discussion into the ongoing local work that Breakeven is conducting. Just for confirmation, Breakeven is based in Brighton in East Sussex, but it also operates from offices in West Sussex, Cambridgeshire, Essex, Kent, Lincolnshire, Norfolk and Suffolk, so it does span a significant area. You can book an appointment by calling 01273 833 722 or by emailing info at breakeven.org.uk. It's important to add here that you can find a full list of GAMCARE's partner organisations that make up the National Gambling Treatment Service on the About Us section on GAMCARE's website. To name a few, there is All Out South in Cornwall, Aquarius who cover large proportions of the East and the West Midlands, Recovery for All in Wales and parts of England such as Gloucestershire, Options on the South Coast, Chrysalis in Yorkshire and the Humber and of course the Leeds Community Gambling Service. So there we have it, episode two done and dusted. Thank you to everyone who has jumped on board and got involved with the podcast. Please continue to share our episodes on social media and amongst friends and colleagues to help raise the awareness. To recap, our Twitter handle is at beyondthebetpod. And yeah, after quite a slow start, we're hoping to release the next instalment slightly quicker. We'll update you over on Twitter about what we have lined up for future episodes. Stay tuned for more. The Beyond the Bet podcast was brought to you by the Citizens Advice Gambling Support Service. Shoutouts for this episode go out to Greg Stenson and James Calloway for production, Kirsty Field, Caitlin Tempest and Anna Adams for the interviews and training content. A huge thank you to our guests, Neil Platt, Ian Semmel and Katie Reynolds-Jones for joining us this week. And of course, to Joe Edwards for putting together the jazzy jingle. Tune in with us again soon. Thank you. The Citizens Advice Gambling Support Service is funded by GambleAware, an independent grant-making charity commissioning prevention and treatment services in England, Scotland and Wales, which is underpinned by research and evaluation. We'd like to thank GambleAware for their support in the making of the podcast series.